it's not hard to get to six figures within the first two, three years of working in construction, depending on where you are in the country. And again, you're not coming to those jobs with a lot of debt. Uh, so you, the thing we hear often is that when you look at the parking lot of any construction job site and you see all these magnificent pickup trucks, they're all paid for. And frankly, and most of those people are spending their weekends towing the jet skis that are paid for to the lake to go have some fun. Welcome to Forward with NACI, inspiring entrepreneurial action, a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders, and the communities that support us. We hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration, inspires you to take action, and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together. Welcome to this episode of Forward with NACI. I'm very happy to have Brian Tremail here, who is the spokesperson for the Association for General Contractors. He also has quite a long title, which we'll get into later. But Brian, good morning. I'm, I'm so happy that you could be with us today. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I'm really curious about about your background. You um, have a leadership role within an association. You're focused on general contracting. So um, why don't you just start and tell us who is Brian and how did you get to this um, type of a career in your life? Maybe uh, share with us a little bit about your career path, somebody that maybe um, had a great influence on you. Oh, gosh, sure. Well, you know, career path. Uh, at one point, I was going to save the world. So right after college, I actually entered a program called Teach for America, uh, which places uh, people in in understaffed, either urban or rural public school systems. And this is actually how I ended up in, in Washington, D.C. I had gone to college in Atlanta and I'm from South Florida originally, but ended up in D.C. to teach second grade in D.C. public schools. This was in the mid 90s. Teach for America was a relatively early program. Full disclosure. If I were trying to get into Teach for America today, it's a far more selective program. There's no chance I would have gotten in, but I lucked out by timing. Uh, so I, I ended up in D.C. teaching second grade. And one of the things I learned is that I wasn't a particularly good second grade teacher. It's a heck of a lot of work. I have a tremendous amount of respect for teachers. And I, I'd say the best part of the program was I met my wife through it and who is oh. an excellent teacher and still teaches fourth grade at our local public school in the District of Columbia. but. Um, after my teach from for those who don't know, Teach for America is a two-year commitment. They ask you to spend two years teaching. I did my commitment. I, I tried my hardest to be a good teacher. I don't know if I made any difference. Out of that, I ended up sort of in DC and kind of looking around at what I want to do next and interviewed a bunch of people about career paths. And maybe it makes sense in hindsight that the person who worked in public affairs made it sound the most intriguing. It's their job to spin after all. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I took a brief internship with a, pu a public relations firm. Loved, the, I'm a bit of a spaz, love that, you know, every five <laughs> minutes you're doing something different, you're working on different clients, you're on all kinds of different tasks that fall under public affairs, and then ended up working for a number of years with a public relations firm that actually did a lot of work on education issues. I think they hired me because I sort of spoke the teacher language, worked there for a number of years, and then one of our bosses at, at the firm ended up becoming the head of a, of a not-for-profit called the Fund for the Capitol Visitor Center. If you've been to Washington, there's it, yeah. on the east side of the Capitol building, there's a large underground visitor center. We were originally going to pay for that, much like the renovation of the Statue of Liberty, half with public funds and half with private sector donations. And the fund was the group that was charged with raising those private sector donations. 
And then September 11th happened. Congress appropriated all the money for the visitor center as a security measure. Uh, and that left me essentially looking for a position and ended up becoming a Fed. Uh, so I kind of, unlike most people who come to Washington to work in government, I came to Washington to teach in local schools and then kind of accidentally fell into a, a Fed position. I, I, I was the spokesperson for a new federal agency called the Transportation Security Administration at the time, and which from a public affairs point of view, being there in the startups, a little bit like drinking water out of a fire hose. <laughs> right. Uh, and the two years I was there spent, felt like, it was like dog years, felt, felt like 14 years of, of work. And then from that ended up as the number two and the number one spokesperson for the U.S. Department of Transportation. And then that was kind of a political gig. And it ended at, at the end of 2008 with the W. Bush administration and uh, uh, sort of looking around for a job after the government. And the the chief counsel at the Department of Transportation at the time, his first job in Washington had been with the guy who ended up becoming the CEO of Agency of America, my boss, Steve Sander. Uh, he called up Steve and said, you should talk to this Brian guy. I guess he said some nice things. And I interviewed at AGC uh, and was offered the job. And it's a good fit. You know, the largest single federal construction investment every year is in transportation. The, the federal highway and transit bill funds, you know, is the represents the largest federal government investment in construction. So the fact that I had a strong transportation background meant that, you know, my learning curve at the Associated General Contractors was a little less steep than someone who was coming in without any kind of background in the industry. Well, it sounds like, too, uh, Brian, you, you're open to new experiences. You're kind of ahead of your time, right? I don't, um, what we I, I don't know. My we kids would argue behind my time, but sure. <laughs> about uh, young people these days is we, we say, be prepared. You're not going to have the same career. You're going to have multiple iterations. And I think the work that you've done is fascinating on a number of levels. Uh, you mentioned um, early on that you, you started with um, Teach for America. And actually, um, the National Association for Community College Entrepreneurship, or as we call it, NACI, the organization that I run, participated in a Maker Fellow program, which was modeled after Teach for America. Oh. Um, it was the same kind of a, a way that gives young people that opportunity to give back and to learn, although that is in sort of the making space. And, and ultimately, you had political appointments. I bet that would be a whole episode. We could <laughs> talk about what you learned there. <laughs> but I think the association world or or the nonprofit world, I've often thought people don't realize how many varied careers and how people can do very, very well. And you can do really impactful things because you're working sort of at that point where, especially with you being in D.C. at the national level, you're looking at, at models. Um, you're really having a lot of leverage over things in the industry. And while you're not teaching in the classroom, you're, you're, you're impacting hundreds of thousands of lives through the work that you do. So I want to dig into that a little bit. For some of our listeners, we have listeners actually in 51 countries and 750 cities around the world. So People think about construction differently. So maybe tell us, um, in terms of your association, what kind of construction do you represent? Is it is it residential? Is it business? Is it, you know, just give us a flavor for what that looks like. Sure. And, and the name is a bit of a, a misnomer. It's Associated General Contractors. Originally, we were we were the, the the trade association that represented general contractors. We're actually the the construction association for the commercial construction industry. So our members... Okay. And we're actually the largest subcontractor association in the country as well. Our members built everything except for single family homes, highways, 
dams, bridges, airports, apartment buildings, condo buildings, uh, anything that requires a hard hat, except for sort of a wooden framed single family house in like the Mandarin Muse development. But even in that development, our guys are the ones who are putting in the utility lines and building the strip mall right outside of the front gate that's got the, the grocery store and the, the, the pizza place in it. So, so tell us about the workforce. Um, that's one of the things that we work on a lot with community colleges is, is looking at not only just transfer institutions or two-year associate degrees, but getting people prepared for work. So tell us a little bit about what is the, the demand for workers um, within the contracting industry? What are some of the trends that you're seeing? Sure. So the number one worry for our members is actually the availability of qualified workers to, to hire. 91% of our members in a survey we did this summer said that they are having a hard time filling vacant positions for craft workers. In the construction industry, we tend to talk about sort of salaried workers versus craft workers. Salaried workers are the, 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 the men and women who work in the front office or the men and women who are in like boots and khakis who spend most some of their time in a trailer, some of their times walking the job site. And then the craft workers are the men and women who are actually out doing the construction work, the equipment operators, the laborers, the carpenters, the steel workers, you name it, who are out there building the American economy every day. And, and, and one of the challenges is, is that probably up until about 40 years ago, we had a robust they used to call it vocational education system in most public school districts in the country. And, and that that served, I think, three important roles. One, it, it exposed many high school students to the fact that construction was an option to consider. Two, it gave high school students some basic awareness and skills that would keep them from hurting themselves or others when they started a career in construction. And then three, it signaled to families that construction was on the kind of career menu to consider. And then as we sort of moved into this post-industrial phase and decided that, you know, to be successful in, in the United States, you needed to go to college, you needed to work in an office or uh, kind of job, uh, we, we essentially dismantled a lot of that, not all, but a lot of that vocational education system. And, and that had kind of the exact consequence you might expect. Fewer students knew that construction was a career path. Fewer students had skills needed to be hireable. Uh, and fewer families thought of construction as a career path that was something that their children or loved ones should follow. So today, the, the, our biggest obstacle is that 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 dining room table or kitchen table where junior or junior comes home and says, I want to work in construction. And mom and dad say, no, 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 you're going to college and you're going to get an office job. You know, we didn't work hard so that you'd go, uh, you know, to stand with a shovel in your hand, which as a father, I get, because we probably thought similar things with our, our our children, yet when you look at the economics of a career in construction, let's just take craft workers for a second, uh, and there are so many other opportunities available, most craft positions do not require a four-year college degree. There are a lot of pathways, and we can get into this through community colleges, that offer some incredible training programs, and we've got some great partnerships. Our members have great partnerships with a lot of community colleges that are doing some really innovative things when it comes to mm -hmm craft training, and then providing kind of a, you know, associate's degree that then can, you can go back and get your construction management degree at an affiliated four-year institution. But it, they don't require a lot of, requiring a lot of debt to, to get it, the skills you need to work in construction. And the pay is really good. It pays 
Uh, right now, the average hourly wage in construction is over $35 an hour. Wow. Uh, it's not hard to get to six figures within the first two, three years of working in construction, depending on where you are in the country. And again, you're not coming to those jobs with a lot of debt. Uh, so you, the thing we hear often is that when you look at the parking lot of any construction job site and you see all these magnificent pickup trucks, they're all paid for. <laughs> and frankly, and most of those people are spending their weekends towing the jet skis that are paid for to the lake to go have some fun. So it's definitely from an economic point of view, a great career opportunity. And then there's a whole group of people who the thought of being in a, as I'm sitting in one right now, a fluorescent lit cube farm all day long is just a nightmare. And, you know, one thing that every construction person I've ever talked to, and I've talked to many at any level of a, uh, uh, in their career path uh, will will tell you is that when they've got friends or family around and they're driving around town and they see something they worked on, they'll look at them and say, that's my bridge. That's my office building. You know, that's my, uh, that's my airport. I have never taken the, my kids to my office and said, look at this press release I wrote. It's beautiful. Now it is perfect, but nonetheless, like they don't care. And I would never show anyone that, you know? So there's this incredible pride and sense of satisfaction that comes from working any level, any career in construction that is really exciting. But we're, for whatever reason, too many mamas don't want their babies to grow up to be construction workers. Right. And, and, and I think and, you hit on that. And we hear that a lot from people. And, and, you know, one of the things that the research bears out, and you know, this is if you have work that you're passionate about and it aligns, the chances of you being successful are, are you know, exponentially increase. And so uh, one of the things you had mentioned that, that intrigues me is you, you, sa- you said you had some community colleges that have some innovative programs to kind of build up this pipeline, because my uh, belief is that, you know, sometimes community colleges have a branding problem because people think, well, you're not uh, good enough to go to, you know, the university uh, right away or, or whatever, which, you know, it isn't true because sometimes it's a better, better choice. But let's get into, Brian, to give me an example of a few of the innovative pipeline partnerships, maybe the community colleges, where are they and, and what does it look like? Sure. Uh, we, you know, the first one that comes to mind, there are several, uh, is Central Arizona Community College, which is about an hour south of Phoenix. Uh, some of our members, led in part by Sunt Construction, uh, went to that community college. Now, before this partnership created, Central Arizona Community College had a construction program. And I think at best, they probably had a dozen students in it, and it was a money drag on the institution. And the folks at Sunt said, look, we want to work with you and we want to help you know work with you to create a construction program that's actually going to meet our modern workforce needs right we'll and we'll by the way we'll send in our professional construction trainers to sort of co-teach with you if you want uh and they had they have a president oh gosh her name eludes me now who was just really innovative and said we need to be working with our partners in the business community. They crafted a special program and enrollment in that construction program went from, I think, a dozen to 140, 150. And it's the number one revenue generating part of Central Arizona Community College. They've got equipment operating uh, program. They've got a pipe fitting program. I think they're doing some electrical Mm -hmm. work as well. And, you know, they've got a lot of land because it's central Arizona and a lot of their partners, the construction firms that have come onto this program have donated equipment and materials. And true to their word, they've got, you know, you've got Sunt and and other construction firms, employees working side by side with central Arizona community college professors to teach these construction programs. 
And the, the deal is that the firms that are supporting Central Arizona College, as long as those students have, I think it's a B minus or above average, they're guaranteed a summer internship at the construction firms they partner with. And every one of them is getting hired at the end of their, their two years at Central Arizona Community College. Once they graduate with that associate's degree, and then it's also stacked through a, a program called NCCER, which I can never remember exactly what it stands for, but it's basically the curriculum developer or one of the curriculum developers for construction materials. You also are, are learning, acquiring apprenticeship credentials. So you graduate that program as a journeyman in equipment operation or pipe fitting, for example. And then if you want, after a couple of years working in the craft profession, if you want to go on to be a construction supervisor or superintendent, you can take that two-year degree and go to Northern Arizona College, a four-year institution up in Flagstaff, and finish up your degree in construction management. So for mom and dad or aunt and uncle, it kind of, you know, it kind of is, makes it an easier sell to say, well, I'm going to do two years here. It's very affordable. I'm going to make a good amount of money, and then I can go back to Northern Arizona, and I can get a, I can get a full bachelor's degree in, in construction management, for example. Uh, other programs, there. I hate to miss any, but Southeast Community College in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is a wonderful program. They've got a, a, a very strong partnership with our AGC of South Dakota chapters, who've actually done a lot of fundraising to support a very technology-focused construction training program. And they've also been able to sort of double their enrollment in that program. And then Metro Community College in Omaha, Nebraska, um, um, they've got a st strong partnership with um, many of our member firms and our two chapters in Nebraska. And they actually, a lot of the campus moved to an old army base, I, I guess it's Fort Omaha, I'm not sure. And they were able to build a brand new construction program, thanks to the support of our member firms, uh, brand new building. And the building is a, a teaching facility in and of itself. It's laid out so that all of the equipment, the pipes, the electrical, most of the walls are plexiglass. So you can see right into, you know, what what's all the plumbing that connects to the bathroom? What's all the wiring that connects into the utility room? Uh, it, it, then the back of the school is almost set up like a construction firm shop so that there's a place like at a construction firm where you check out your tools and the materials you need so that the entire experience is very much like working at a construction firm. Uh, and they, it's a very much hands-on learning program. The students are constantly building. They're not small homes. A lot of these programs will do like small homes, but they're, they're building kind of transitional housing for the needy community. And that's kind of a service-based learning and experiential learning. And again, it's just a wonderful program. And full disclosure, the, the Dean Nate Barry, who, who runs that program, is, is on our Construction Careers Task Force and is really an important voice in helping us think through our workforce development initiatives. Uh, as is, in fact, Bob, Bob, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble here, but the president of, of Southeast uh, Community College as well, Bob, uh, I want to say Gibbs, um, I'm having a, a brain freeze. Both are important voices. And, and, and I'll tell you why we've invited community college leaders onto our careers task force, our construction careers task force, because we think that community colleges represent this enormous and still relatively untapped potential to sort of help meet the sort of training needs for the construction industry. A lot of these community college programs, the three I just mentioned, not only are teaching community college students, but they're the de facto CTE program for their local high school districts. So high schools are busing in hundreds, if not thousands of students a year to these community college programs so that they're getting their construction training at the community college. So we think we've got these great programs. We've got a willingness to sort of work with the, the industry. And there are any, every community has 
community colleges. And unfortunately, some of them are probably underutilized, at least when it comes to their construction programs. So we've been really trying to work to spread the word with other community colleges about, you know, hey, let's sit down together. Let's build relationships with your local AGC chapter and member firms and see how we can improve these construction programs and really use them as a pipeline for, for filling this void that exists at the high school level or at the sort of training level to prepare the next generation of construction workers. I, I think you said it so well, Brian. And as our, our time comes to a close, it's intriguing to me that you have really, along with your, your colleagues and association, figured out a way to kind of take a, a challenge. You know, you said 91% are, that's a huge number of, of unfilled positions. But you figured out a way, I think, to make it work. So I would love to continue this conversation with you and try to figure out how NACI perhaps could help you in your expansion and scale. We work with about 340 community colleges around the country, and um, skilled trades is really important to us. In fact, we just had a big competition, $150,000 in prize money for colleges that pitched innovative ideas. And and this certainly um, has a lot of tenants for that. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And just the last word here, if people want to learn more about your association and their work, or your work rather, um, how would they find out more about it? Sure. The easiest thing for them to do is just go to our website, which is www.agc for Associated General Contractors, agc.org. Uh, and all the information's right there. And you can take links to follow us uh, to see our workforce priorities or other priorities and all our contact info, including mine, is on there. And if anyone has any questions or wants to learn more, they're, they're free to reach out. We'd be happy to work with them. And like I said, I, I just think the community colleges offer a real potential and, um, So we hope to to build that relationship. Sounds good. So thank you so much for sharing all of those wonderful ideas. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And and same to our listeners around the world. Make it a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI as we celebrate opportunity, failing forward, and success, learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media and learn more about us at NACI.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership require us to lean in, anticipate and recognize trends, manage change, be resilient, take risks, reflect, and rest in the knowledge that anything is possible. Learn from our innovative, insightful, generous network who navigates both challenges and opportunities entrepreneurially as we share what we've learned and how you might apply their experience to your work. We hope you'll be as inspired as we were. 
Learn more at www.nacyplaybook.com.